Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Engaging the Phenomenon. Today, we have a special episode, and we have joining us Richard Dolan. Thanks for coming again, Rich. Hey, James. Uh, I always enjoy hanging out with you, and I'm glad to be able to do a show with you. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's always an honor when you, when you, t- you know, take out some of your time to come here and engage in the phenomenon. I appreciate it. I know the audience does. So today we are going to be covering a very, uh, I guess I'm going to have to say controversial topic. You know, anytime you bring up MJ 12 or, or issues like that, people get torn up inside sometimes. And listen here, we're here, we're having a talk about information. That's what we should be doing. Um, you know, so anybody who wants to try to, you know, UFO shame us, I mean, come on, let's go. We're just here to have a talk. All right. So, um, today we're going to talk about Zodiac and, um, I want to say that became a real hot topic, Rich, when you mentioned it in an interview you did with Luis Elizondo, um, once, once you brought that up, I think it kind of exploded before that people were kind of whispering about it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I actually, because I talked, (laughs) I talked with him off the record and then on the record. So uh, you're going to have to remind me what his on the record statement was. So I, I think he he acknowledged like he knew about it. Right. Didn't he say that publicly? Yeah. He said, he kind of said like, he can't talk about that. Yeah. Okay. You know, um, but uh, I mean, um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't know what kind of impression he gave you off the record, but we, I'll, um, I'll, um, I'll not going to hold very much back. I mean, I look anytime that any researcher talk, if you talk with someone on a condition of confidentiality, you have to honor that. That's just how it is. And the, the fact is in the UFO field, when you deal with anyone who's had security clearances, I've had no security clearances. I'm not part of that world, but I've talked with a lot of people who have. The fact is um they're always they have to be ultra careful with what they say and that includes to me because i'm not cleared but even things that they're allowed to say legally uh you find that there's a lot of fear in you know among people who've got clearances and they're just very ultra 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 careful with uh, the information that comes out so as a researcher you know you just try to honor those agreements but there's things that, I mean, I definitely can talk about this and, and about the research that got me into Zodiac to begin with as well. Yeah. So just, just for the audience listening, uh, some people are certainly going to be familiar with the name and they kind of just, a lot of people beyond that, they're like, what is Zodiac? What is Zodiac? So for the listening audience, especially for, you know, people going on time from now, um, what is Zodiac? Well, Zodiac might be one of a couple of different things, but all pretty much related. So, I mean, at, at bottom, I guess you could say it would be roughly equivalent to how people have talked about MJ-12 for many, many years. So MJ-12, of course, which became known or discussed, we should say, in the 1980s, about 40 years ago now, almost, um, is the legendary alleged uh, UFO control group, right? So that would be the, the people who are running the UFO cover-up and UFO knowledge above or beyond even formally elected governments, uh, something that by the alleged MJ-12 documents that leaked out in the 1980s was originally US government creation of like senior defense and scientific officials. Uh, and then as according to rumors, according, you know, depending on who you believe, um, more or less gravitated to becoming something international or at least transnational 
maybe by the 1960s or 70s, uh, kind of a going beyond US, formal US control. But anyway, that's supposed to be MJ-12. And as most people watching or listening know, there's never been agreement among the UFO research community about MJ-12. There have been defenders and there have been people who have just said it's all BS. Um, uh, for my part, I've, I've never been an MJ-12 debunker in the sense that like I've all, I have always believed that there has been an MJ-12 type of organization. I've always believed that, not just because of the alleged documents, but just because of everything that I've encountered in my years of looking into UFOs. Maybe we can get into that. But anyway, so Zodiac is a, a name that really went under the radar for decades and decades and decades and then surfaced. And it is at least feasible or plausible that Zodiac might be the name, the proper name for this control group instead of MJ-12. At least that is a possibility. And we can get into why, why some of us think it may be. Yeah, so just, just for the audience too, um, actually, Rich, you, you wrote a, a fantastic article and you, and you read the article, an audio piece, and you included the original um, kind of uh, the PDF version yes, yes, yeah, of, yeah. of the Zodiac story. So just for people listening, uh, what we're about to talk about is going to be linked in the description on Richard Dillon, uh, his website. So how did, how did this Zodiac come on the scene recently, the name and, and the story? Yeah. So, um, well, I guess we can trace it all back. So, you know, two years ago now, uh, the leak of the famous or infamous Admiral Thomas Wilson notes came out. That was in June of 2019. These are Eric, Dr. Eric Davis's notes with, of his meeting with Admiral Thomas Wilson after Wilson had retired from the Defense Intelligence Agency in 2002. Davis meets with Wilson. They sit in a car for over an hour talking all about um, Wilson's failed attempt to get access to a reverse engineering program dealing with alien tech, all right, when Wilson was at the Joint Chiefs. So that whole thing blew up in June of 2019. Uh, all of that came from the estate of the late Dr. Edgar Mitchell of Apollo 14. Mitchell had died a couple of years before that. And by 2019, those docu that document leaked out. Well, another document leaked out as well from Mitchell's estate, actually a couple of things, but the other, the other significant document that leaked out was an email thread from 2001 on the even more infamous Ray Santilli alien autopsy video. And we're not here to talk about the legitimacy or not of that. That's irrelevant for our purposes. But what is relevant is that Mitchell had in his, uh, papers, this, it was a printed out email thread. I mean, not many people print emails these days, but I think in 2001, that was still kind of a new thing. And for an important email thread, you would print it out sometimes. And Mitchell did print it out in the form of paper. And it was uh, between basically all the folks connected with the National Institute of Discovery Science, which Mitchell was part of as well. So that means Robert Bigelow, who ran it. That means Dr. Hal Puthoff. That means Dr. Kit Green, Christopher Green. That means uh, Dr. Colm Kelleher. And it means Dr. Eric Davis. CC'd on that discussion were John Alexander and Robert Bigelow. Yeah. I just want to add right there, yeah. um, Dr. Eric Davis confirmed to me that those, the alien autopsy files were legitimate. The email the, thread. 
Correct. Yeah. I will also add that Dr. Kit Green confirmed it to me that that same thread was legit. And I publish an article about that on my website as well. That's a, that's an open source article anyone can read. So what, so you got Davis and Green both telling people, yep, that email thread is totally real. Yeah. Yeah, Because it's important to say that because when all that came out, there were people uh, who were very loud about saying that's a hoax. That's all BS. Alexander's email address is incorrect. Uh, I talked with Kit Green about that. Green, he said, no, no, all of that is absolutely correct. And he was 100% authentic about that. And I, Davis said that to you. So yeah, yeah. So the email thread is correct. Um, but anyway, so the point is that at the very end, this is a 2001 series of discussion. And by the way, the email thread is itself quite interesting. You've got these scientists asking, basically asking Kit Green who's a medical, a forensic pathologist and a medical expert, top level, top, top, top level biologist in many ways. This is a man who in the CIA used to give briefings to President Ronald Reagan on matters of science. Kit Green is a brilliant, is a brilliant man. So because he's a medical expert, somehow this came up as a topic like the Santilli alien, is this real, is this BS, whatever. And what was shocking to read when this leaked out in 2019 is here's green telling his colleagues like Davis, who was mostly incredulous says, Oh yeah, that thing is real because I was briefed in a skiff in a sensitive compartmented in, uh, uh, information facility in the 1980s. Green yeah. is saying where I was showed a still image of a, of a being that looked identical. <laughs> it's like to what Santilli had. So like, all that shocking the rest of the NIDS guys, it's like Putoff and Davis and uh, Kelleher. And you could see like, they're kind of skeptical. They're like, really? It just seemed like it's kind of fake. But anyway, so that was an interesting, and by the way, Green later said to me and said publicly that he ceased believing that that was real uh, a little while after that. And he has his own reasons and you can go into that. And I wrote about it in, in my article on my website. You can get into it. But anyway, so the point is that whole thing, that's a fascinating conversation. Uh, but at the end of that thread is an email by Putoff, by Hal Putoff to uh, Kristen Zimmerman, who's a partner of Kit Green's. All right, so they're all part of the same little group. She was in on this thread. And now this is from... Uh, 99? Uh, this is from early 2001. I um, know, oh actually, no, the, the, this I'm looking here because I'm trying to remember uh, the end of 1999. Yeah, the, okay, this isn't this 99. So, anyway, so uh, this, is, this is what he writes to Kit and to Kristen. Hal, Hal's writing, just wanted to check. Didn't I send you a package of UFO mag articles by pseudonymous? spelling, uh, he wasn't sure about the spelling of the word pseudonymous, uh, author Sedge Masters concerning crash retrievals by a group called Zodiac. If so, still hoping for a readout by you on this as we have reason to, as we have reason to believe the set of stories, three I think, are only slightly fictionalized versions of a source's experiences, writing up records for the archives at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, specifically, Ever heard of Zodiac, which is a supposed which is supposed to be a true name? That was his question there. And actually, he was quite right. There were three articles. 
Um, the author of the series was not Sedge Masters. The author of the series was actually Greg Halifax, which is also a pseudonym. And Sedge Masters is the fictional character in the article. So uh, Hal got that little bit wrong. You just misremember that. But he had the basics absolutely right. The, and so that's, that appeared at the end of the alien autopsy email thread. It's like, oh, what is this little interesting thread here on Zodiac? What is Zodiac? Um, I remembered reading it when that came out. It, it registered with me. And I have a, not a totally complete, but I have a very, very good collection of the old UFO magazines. And I remember when it came out, I thought, oh, I'm, I'm going to look into that. And then I didn't. And then yeah. a colleague of mine uh, wrote to me. He's like, hey, have you looked into that Zodiac connection? And I'm like, oh, actually, let me do that. <laughs> so yeah. I went... I, I finally went into my collection of UFO mag and this actually dovetailed. I was doing research through UFO mag for volume three of UFOs in the national security state. And yes, I am still working on that. So I was going through that and I thought, let me pull up my UFO magazine collection and bingo. I did find, I had those articles. I was going to find them here for our podcast. And I, I've got my collections above my head. I, I don't know where those three are. I'm sure they're hiding in a stack somewhere in my house. Yeah. But, but again, it, the people can go to the link that you've got and the yeah. PDF of all three articles is there. I took those pictures myself, created as a PDF myself. It's very nice, easy to read for anyone. Yeah. So anybody listening on the YouTube description, there will be the article to the full you know, story about, you know, written by the alleged or the pseudonym Greg Halifax uh, about the pseudonym Sedge Masters. Uh, talking about the Zodiac story, you can you can read the yeah. entire three articles. It'll be in the description. Yeah, and for that, I wrote a brief article, uh, which you, anyone can read. And actually, what I did, I often do this on my website. I'll write a piece, but a lot of times, I know folks. Some people like to read. Some people like to hear. So what I'll often do is um, I'll write an article, and many times I will record an audio of it. That's like a mini podcast for my website at Richard Olin Members. And I did that as well. So someone can listen to me talk about it if they care, or they can just go right to the article. Or yeah. I mean, right to the Sedge Masters pieces. So whatever someone wants, they can just access it. Um, I can talk a little bit more about that because it's actually quite interesting. Um, so anyway, Hal put off in his... Oh, and by the way, there was no answer uh, in, the, in the email thread that we have. Yeah to his question about the Sedge Masters article. So we don't know what anyone else said. But um, what, what we can do, like he, he was fundamentally correct about his description of it. And we can talk a little bit about that. So the, when you go into the, uh, the articles from UFO Magazine, it's very interesting, like it's, it was, those articles were written as fiction. But even you know when these were published by Bill Burns back in 1998, it was it was very it's very interesting. It was obvious that like the description is. In fact, I'm going to pull this up here. They give a um, a little brief author bio in two of the three articles. One of the articles doesn't even give him a bio, and they just describe him a writer researcher for over 20 years. Greg Halifax lives in Southern California. 
This is the first in an occasional series of stories that while presented to us from seemingly trustworthy sources, are second or third hand anecdotes and cannot be verified at this time. They should be weighed as such. Uh, and then there's a second author bio from another, uh, the second article, a writer researcher for over 20 years, Greg Halifax lives in Southern California. He has a number of good friends from the military industrial complex and they leave it at that. Uh, the third article didn't even offer a bio of Halifax at all. That yeah. was basically it. So, so um, it's, it's a plausible uh, deniability thing. Uh, it's almost kind of like the, the Tom DeLong secret machines where, you know, they're trying to put out a fictional with fiction, uh, you know, fact with fiction thing. Um, but do we, do we know who Greg Halifax is? I think I do. And, um, you, you know, we just tell people off that when you and I were talking off camera, I gave you the name of the person that I believe it is. I'm, I would say I'm pretty sure I know who he is. Um, a few, I, but I'm not 100% and I, I feel uncomfortable giving the name up. What I will say is a few people have tried to reach out to him and all he does is hang up the phone. He's not interested in talking to people about this. Absolutely not. Um, but I would say that um, there's probably people listening to this who might have done enough work into it and they may even know. I just, I just don't, um, I think, I mean, there's connections to some of the names that are in the Admiral Thomas Wilson notes by Dr. Eric Davis. I'll say that yeah. much. So if you go through that, you can, you can see some connections. He's quite elderly now, but I will say that this man was uh, almost certainly a corporate attorney for TRW uh, in California, definitely in aerospace. And I think we can say that, yeah. Yeah. The other the other thing I want to point out about the articles as they appeared in UFO Mag in '98, um, it's it was an unusual like to, total lack of like in each of the article in each of those magazines, each issue would have uh, like publishers uh, or the editor's notes at the beginning of each issue. Like you know when you open up a magazine, it's like editor's notes, and they talk about the magazine and. In none of the three issues did either the publisher, Bill Burns, or the editor-in-chief, who was Vicki Ecker, no one made reference to these extremely interesting pieces. Like, yeah. I mean, the fact is they're very well written. The fact is they're actually just great to read. They're, they're awesome to read. If you yeah. want to read it as fiction, knock yourself out. They're fun to read. But but it's also the case like when you can see that these are thinly veiled fiction, like you would think that the publisher or the editor would say, check this out, we've got this fascinating, very tantalizing uh, series of articles and there was no mention of it. So they weren't really quiet about it at the time when they wrote it, when they published it. Um, so anyway, um, I just thought that was, and, and you know, so you're wondering who is Greg Halifax? That was clearly a pseudonym. Um, I suspect that the actual author may have had had some time where he spent in Halifax, Canada. Um, I would be my guess. <laughs> I, I actually yeah. think so. But um, anyway, so the stories in the, the three pieces, uh, I mean, basically are uh, Sedge Masters is kind of like a James Bond character that this author creates. He's like a kind of a can-do guy. He's had 
kind of a lot of experiences in the in the military and in the classified world, and he gets recruited into this program called Zodiac. Uh, there's a fair amount of description of the kind of psychological profile that was necessary for him to be selected for Zodiac. Uh, in fact, one of the things that the author mentions is that it's actually way more important to have someone of the right psych profile than even of certain technical qualifications. I mean, they need, they want someone with an intelligence background. This guy was an expert interviewer, interrogator. That was his main expertise in the story. But uh, they wanted him because he fit the exactly correct psychological profile of someone who was going to be stable, who was going to fall apart and, you know, that type of thing. So that was interesting. But then what they uh, get into is this program called Zodiac. And that's how it's, that's the name of it that was described. And, uh, and it's, he, and he learns that this is a UFO program and it's a program that deals fundamentally with crash retrievals of UFOs. So, and in fact, when you ask what is Zodiac, it's entirely possible like that if there's a group that's like MJ-12, that's a control group, Zodiac might not be that exactly. Zodiac might be a UFO or UAP crash retrieval operation. That would be a subdivision, you might think, of something like MJ-12. I mean, we don't really know. Or it could be the total control group. We don't know. Um, and I, we could follow up on what a few people like Lou Elizondo said and a few other people that I've talked to off the record. But going back to the article, I guess we could just say, um, you know, you follow Sedge Masters, sort of uh, his adventure into checking, into investigating something that went wrong at a UFO crash retrieval. And, and, yeah. and in the fictionalized story, what went wrong was that this, this team, um, and I think the team is like of, um, I, I should have really read the whole article before we did this, but uh, it's like 60, 60 people are part of this team. And when they were doing a retrieval, there was a big UFO that was above them and yeah. screwed with their memories. Yeah. And they were, they were missing like an hour, an hour and a half, I think, of time. And so he writes this up and it's a very interesting fictionalized portrayal. And then in the, the last piece, uh, he, the author writes about a UFO event that takes place off the coast of California, where an object, uh, I think, comes out of the water. It's a water-based UFO sighting. And um, that's very interesting. That's very interesting. Uh, what I will say, what I can say definitely is that the late author, UFO researcher, Ange Ruffle, I don't know if you and I ever talked about this, but in the, in the late 70s, she was, a, she was a great researcher. She wrote a fantastic biography of the late James McDonald. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. And it's called, that book is called Firestorm. And it's the definitive biography of James McDonald, I would say. Um, but any, anyway, Anne Ruffle lived in Southern California as well. And um, she apparently, she investigated this particular UFO event and wrote about it in uh, one of the MUFON journal issues. And golly, I just wish I had the uh, issue in front of me in my notes. If if, uh, if I remember it after we're done, well, I'll give you the link, and you can put that information in your in your description. Yeah. But she she clearly was engaged in researching this, and it is my belief that the author Greg Halifax was either 
a direct witness to that particular UFO event or very, very close to a woman whose name is listed in the Wilson document who might've been the direct witness. Well, it's even funny that they mentioned that Greg Halifax lives in Southern California. <laughs> oh yeah, right, exactly. That's, that's mentioned yeah. in, uh, in the article in UFO Magazine. So anyway, what, what it really looks like is that this author, and you know, it's stated in his bio in UFO Magazine that he's got a lot of friends in the military industrial complex. He's been interested in UFOs for 20 years at that time. So since the late seventies, yeah, that would be since he had his, his sighting. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and it's, you know, it's really interesting. Some, I mean, again, some of this could be fiction in the, um, in the, uh, sure. Some of it is definitely fictionalized. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, but they're talking about like, Oh, well, it's not, they're talking about the interaction with some of the beings. It's actually not telepathy. It's empathetic manipulation and thought control. <laughs> you know, that was pretty specific. I'm <laughs> so glad you, uh, yeah, good. Thanks for bringing that. Cause I t- totally forgotten that little fact. Um, yeah. And, and what's interesting is that when those articles came out in UFO mag in late in 1998, it, it was like, there was no follow-up. Like, it's just like, it's like the magazine published them and the entire world just kept on right and going, including the UFO community. I think no one, I mean, if anyone was talking about it, uh, no one was writing about it. Right. I mean, it's, it's, and then everyone just forgot. And uh, there was no, no one talked about Zodiac until, until Putoff mentioned it in that email, uh, which was exposed in 2019. Well, I was going to say is that, how Putoff was talking about it in, in 1999 um, and, you know, put it through this email. When, when yeah, um, when the magazine had just, those articles were published in 98. So they were brand new. Yeah. So a year, you know, shortly after how Putoff is telling his colleagues about it. Right. And since, uh, you know, 2019, those have came out and, you know, we know that the, the alien autopsy documents are legitimate uh, memos and the email. Um, Correct. You have how put off uh, basically on the record, you know, confirmed by Kate Green and Eric Davis talking about Zodiac. And now, um, you know, you had mentioned it to Lou Elizondo. And if you, if you talk to any of these, these people, they're very tight lipped about Zodiac, but they seem to take it seriously. They all, they all know it's real. I'm, I'm just going to say behind the scenes, when you go off the record with everyone, every one of the people in that group, off the record. They're like, oh yes, of course. Of course I've heard of it. Of course I know what it is. Uh, but they, uh, even off the record, I have not gotten, I, I just have to stress this, any, uh, any kind of concrete, meaningful admission as to what it is. All, right. all that I've gotten, right? So, so in other words, no one broke their security clearances with me either. I have not been given any uh, actionable, inf- actionable, I guess, information about Zodiac from them. No one has done that to me. So no one's, no one spilled their secrets to me. But what has been clear is that, oh yeah, they all know, they all know that it's a program. And, and like you were saying, they all know it is important and it is related, very much related to UFOs and UAP for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems uh, to be, you know, directly involved with the, with the crash retrieval program. And, uh, you know, some people have yeah. even uh, said, 
you know, behind the scenes, something like, oh, well, actually Zodiac was a code name um, or, you know, some, something almost like uh, to, um, to disguise the actual program. So um, there, there was a uh, program. Yeah. Yeah. That there, could easily be the case. Yeah. Like it was, it was a code word uh, to kind of disguise the actual program. Of, you yeah, know, so it could be that if you if you ask Elizondo or Putoff or anyone else about Zodiac, uh, and if they know that it's actually a different name, they're not gonna they're not gonna tell us, right? To say, right. oh, Zodiac, that's that's the current line of defense right there. That could easily be the case. I don't know if it's the case. Yeah, right. You know. Yeah, but it, I, you could easily see that as a as a real possibility. Yeah, as I mean, then that's just an extra layer of security. Um, for and, and again, if you want to talk about MJ12, which you know, if MJ12, you know, was this group and it, it was given at you know, the funny correlation with the zodiac is the 12 signs of the zodiac, uh, yes, exactly, MJ12, exactly, you know, and um, so right. that's a very really, good connection, yeah, it's a funny correlation, um, but also, uh, you know, I think it's a meaningful connection, I think that's exactly. That's, I think that's exactly right. Yeah. And I, th I think somebody from one of those uh, intelligence groups may have said something along the lines of, well, you know, it was actually called MJ-12 because there was 12 silos, you know, it was, it was actually split up that way. Um, but again, you know, we're, we're left to speculate on the outside. When you're and, saying silos, I mean, can you explain what you mean? Well, by you know how silos? they say the siloed programs. So yeah, okay, like stove, stove piped. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. Squirreled away, separate from each other, compartmented. Yeah. The, yeah. So 12 compartments. Right. Um, but again, we're, you know, we're, we're speculating on the outside. Even these, some of these guys are trying to burrow their way into, I guess, these compartments in a way, maybe one of two of them made it partially into one or two, who knows. Um, but uh, the MJ 12 connection is, is intriguing. And also, um, yeah, I, I just want to ask you for, you know, your opinion, because I know um, some people said, oh, well, you know, MJ-12, the, the documents, the MJ-12 documents were leaked. Um, and it was actually, it was part of uh, like a disinformation for foreign intelligence. So there was some real stuff in there that the foreign intelligence would knew, like say, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But, the, but when you, they were talking about, the technology or something they talked about it in the wrong way to throw off it's entirely possible yeah so we, when we talk about the mj12 documents there's really two sets we want, to, we want to mention first you got the original uh just like seven pages that came out and that was sent in a film canister in 1984 to uh jamie chandere and then to bill moore who got they were working together so those are the original mj12 documents but then I think we need to include in this conversation the so-called majestic documents yeah. that Ryan and, and Dr. Bob Wood have curated for many years now, which they got from a gentleman named Tim, Timothy Cooper, who's, who's still around as well. Tim Cooper's father was extremely well-connected within the US government intelligence community. And uh, Bob Wood purchased these very massive trove of documents that Cooper had. These are not film, this is actual paper that can be tested and dated and so forth. And in fact, the Woods have done a lot of, 
a lot of forensic work on these documents. I would encourage people to go to majesticdocuments.com to honestly, just to see the thoroughness with which they proceeded on this. when I first started looking at them, if you printed off all the majestic documents, which in fact I have, I may have them. <laughs> so uh, about 20 years ago, after I, um, I wrote my first edition of UFOs and National Security State in 2000, yeah, pe- people should realize uh, I started in 1995 with basically zero knowledge of UFOs, 94, 95, I had, I had nothing. And so um, writing that first volume was my education in UFOs. Like it was, I had to just get up to speed and I'm writing and I'm reading and I'm doing all this. And so all of my knowledge at that point in 2000, when my first book came out, basically only went up to 1973, which was when that book ended. So so at that point, it was crazy for me because... um, I don't know if I've ever really uh, discussed this too much in an interview, but I mean, I've talked about it to many people, but just not on in a recorded interview. But what happened was like, so I I published the book in 2000, 2001, people started getting to know about me and they're like, oh, wow, this new guy, Dolan. So they started requesting interviews and and I'm realizing I didn't know Jack about anything beyond 1973. I really need to get up to speed fast. Yeah. Uh, but it was all that I could do, honestly, for five years of diving into the old history from the 40s and 50s and 60s. I mean, believe me, that was enough work for me. So it took me a few years, like 01, 02, 03. I was working like mad to catch up. And, and I did, I, I, I think I caught up pretty quickly. But anyway, so one of the things I did, I think around 01 or 02, was I explored, this is my own little, I made this little uh, comb bound. This is a printout. Yeah that I did back then of all the majestic documents and all in chronological order. Yeah. And what I wanted to do was simply, I wanted to, and I printed all of those off from the Woods website. And I said, I want to, I want to sit down in a quiet place and I want to read every single one of these in order, start to finish and just read. And then, and then I'll go into whatever analysis, but I just want to read them. And so that's what I did. I, I printed them all off. This is how fat it is. Like this is a lot of these documents. So it's not just, you know, a few little pages that are sent in a film canister. Um, there's a lot there to go through. And so, so my point in saying all of this, I guess, is that I thought, okay, if this is a, if this is disinformation, like it could be, right? But the question would be, who, who would be the intended target of this disinformation? And it's a really important question to ask. So like, is, would the target be the Soviets or the Russians? Or would the target be people like me, like UFO researchers, or now you? Um, I can say that I had a conversation. Um, Hell, I'll just say I had a conversation with Putoff about this, like, (laughs) yeah, with Hal, and uh, I was asking him, like I said, I've gone through all these majestic documents. This is this is a long time ago, and uh, I'm like, what do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and, you know, to to his credit, like, so he, I, I just have to say, I I like and respect him very much. Yeah, I like to think that that's a mutual feeling. 
Um, you know, he never, he'll never give up information. He doesn't want to give up. Just like, yeah. doesn't matter how much he may like you or not. He's just, he's very careful about every single thing he says. Uh, and so he didn't give an opinion on the authenticity of these documents. But what what he, like he'll, he'll toss out like these little very um, innocuous casual statements and you, you have to read carefully and go, aha, okay, this is what I think he means, but is that what he means? So we were talking about this and uh, we were talking about them as disinformation. And so I simply expressed my opinion that I, I said, I don't really think it works as, as disinformation against the UFO community. I, just, I can't see it. They sat in Cooper's house for ages going nowhere. He just, he just got them himself. Uh, they, they, they weren't being put out to the community. Uh, Bob Wood learned about them and, and then acquired them. Um, year, this is all years and years and years went by. They were just sitting in Cooper's house. Yeah. So it, it didn't make sense to me that these would be disinfo created. And, and on top of that, you've got to go through the, the documents themselves. All right. So one thing you have to say is if they're disinfo, there is no way it's just like one guy cranking these out of his basement office. Like right, impossible. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's not possible. Uh, the the level of sophistication of these is beyond anything you can imagine. And plus, then you've got document styles, uh, all of which seem to check out according to the woods. Um, the terminology, the lingo, like a lot of minutia in these are exactly as they are supposed to be. And so it, it's beyond the ability of any one person to do. I don't care how brilliant they are. So if, if it's disinfo, it would have to be a highly sophisticated team of people who are expert in things like document creation within the classified world, as well as an entire array of scientific technical disciplines across the board. Um, and then, and and then also, you'd have to kind of reverse engineer history, as it were, and make sure that all the dates line up exactly right. You know, if you got a document that's from July fifth, nineteen forty-seven, you damn well better get all of your all of your details right about it. Or from you know, you know, what's this one? <laughs> November twelfth, nineteen sixty-three. Yeah, and on and on and on. Okay, it's like you've got to get your act together and. And as far as everyone's been able to see, like there's these things line up. That's my opinion. I, yeah. And by the way, so I asked this to uh, Hal Puthoff and, you know, he just gave a non-committal. He says, well, you know, you could, you could imagine they could be disinfo directed against the, the Soviets, the Russians. And for exactly the reasons that you suggested a little while ago, which would be you would want them to get information, but you would insert certain things that were factually wrong scientifically that would lead down a garden path or a dead end. Right. Like, yeah, you could see that. But then <clears throat> what I said, even back then, this is almost 20 years ago, I was like, well, that could be true. But to me, that would still almost validate the UFO reality. Right. Oh, because, oh, because the Soviets yeah. aren't idiots. Right? Yeah. So they're not going to believe uh, all these UFO documents, if they themselves didn't have reason to believe it, right? Like you're not going to create a bunch of fake UFO documents if everyone in the intelligence community knows it's BS. Yeah. They're not going to be any use. Have to, yeah, so there has to be real have, information in there. Yeah, you got to have something that's plausible. So my attitude, 
even 20 years ago is whether they're completely genuine or, or disinformation directed against the Soviet Union or the Russians, to me, that still is a valid, they, they serve as a validation to me of the UFO reality. And I've always felt that way. Um, there could be disinfo in there directed against the Soviets. I, who, I know it. I don't know. Yeah. But um, anyway, it's a fascinating read. So all of this, this is the majestic little side road that we went, just went down there, I think was still useful to talk about. Yeah, no, I think the, the I mean, <clears throat> we're talking about Zodiac, um, MJ-12 and, and Zodiac seem to be in the, kind of the same category, you know. Or, or at least like if Zodiac yeah. was a, a, a crash retrieval program, you know. Uh, um, I would want to go through these again now. I don't think that there's a mention of Zodiac in these documents. Oh, that's uh, I could idea. be wrong, but I don't, I don't think there is. Um, but it might be worth a re-dive, a new dive and to look, but I don't, I don't think there is one. So that, that would be a problem as yeah. well. Why wouldn't Zodiac? You know, you would think if these are actual classified deep level, Zodiac would appear there. I don't think that it does. Anyone listening, if they feel enthusiastic or motivated, <laughs> yeah. go, go to majesticdocuments.com and um, look into it. But I don't, I don't think that it is. I would think that there'd be a way to keyword search that somehow. Um, um, I don't know, maybe. I don't know. I don't know if that's actually possible or not. The way that yeah. is set up on their website, I don't know. Yeah, um, we'll have to find out. Yeah, but again, you know, uh, we're we're talking about Zodiac. Um, MJ twelve is is relevant because if if Zodiac was a, a true, um, you know, program or even code word, uh, we're we're talking about like an MJ twelve type group. It's not like an ATIP or OSAP, you know. Um, whereas like those were unclassified right. programs, kind of very surface level. Uh, yeah, for, absolutely. It's, I think, you know, what we, we have to realize, and by the way, this is, uh, another reference to the Davis Wilson notes, you know, what you get when you read those notes is a very concrete sense that within the special access programs that are ensconced within the Pentagon SAPOC, Special Access Program Oversight Committee. It's all discussed in those notes that within that world, like you're, you're dealing with private contractors. We're talking Northrop, we're talking Lockheed Martin, you know, uh, probably TRW and a bunch <laughs> of other. Um, but the definite impression that you get reading those notes, according to what Wilson said, is that these contractors, they, they basically run the show. And I will just say, Every, every single person in that crowd, in what I call the Bigelow group, whether it's Putoff or Kid Green or Eric Davis or um, Edgar Mitchell, when I spoke with him several times about this, every one of them has stressed the dominance of private corporate contractors over DOD personnel in these programs. And so if that's the case, and if there's, you got a program, special access program uh, listed as Zodiac, let's say, uh, it's, that's not, that will not appear very likely in any kind of official U.S. government search. Like, you may not get that code name, that code word. Yeah. It may yeah. not turn up anywhere. Yeah. Um, 
and again, you know, this is they're. Did, did, I'm trying to remember. This is in the '90s, but did they did they list dates in the in the story? Um, I don't think so. Masters. In the Sedge Masters article, yeah, I don't, I don't think he gave dates. No, yeah. And you know, I oh, damn it, I'm I'm annoyed with myself because the UFO sighting that happened. Well, you could definitely talk about. It. I just can't remember exactly where it took place, and it ah, makes makes me nuts. I I wanted to be able to, but it and Ruffle. I'm going to find this link before you put this interview out there. Yeah. And we'll, we'll mention the actual event. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, actually not remembering off the top of my head. I, yeah. And if that, if there's a book on uh, James McDonald, I definitely want to read it. (laughs) Yeah. It's called firestorm and it's a classic. It's a great book. I've, I have it in another part of the house. Yeah, if anybody's listening is a documentary maker, you should make a documentary on James McDonald. I mean, uh, fascinating. Absolutely. Guy, you know, absolutely. Um, yeah, his, uh, his story is tragic. Yeah. Um, and fascinating. And, you know, he was an absolutely brilliant atmospheric physicist um, working at the University of New Mexico. And uh, in this, he had been a UFO witness, but that was kind of, he, had low level interest in this. And then in the 60s, 1960s, got into it big time. And the thing about McDonald was, he wasn't just brilliant, he was a fearless man. And, you know, took on Alan Hynek back in those days, famous scene recorded in, uh, I think it was in Valet's uh, Forbidden Science Volume One, McDonald slams his hand on, his fist on Hynek's desk when he learns about the Robertson panel in 1966. Yeah. Where the hell have you been? You've known about this all this time. Uh, Robertson panel, of course, being the CIA's um, classified program, essentially debunked UFOs within the classified world, basically to put it to sleep. Robertson panel was itself a, you know, that was a setup of an operation. And, and we've got research by people like Dr. Michael Swords that strongly, strongly, uh, I would say actually prove that the conclusion was actually in before they even did their work in January, 1953. So uh, the whole thing was just to put UFOs to sleep. This is the last, this is the last act of significance of the Harry Truman presidency. Uh, you know, a couple of days after they concluded, two days after they concluded, Dwight Eisenhower was inaugurated as the 34th president. So um, anyway, McDonald learns about this and he's like fighting the power on UFOs for several years. He just puts himself in the front row. He's fighting. Uh, he was heroic. The mendacious skeptic Philip J. Class uh, led a smear campaign to destroy McDonald's reputation. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then the Condon Committee did their allegedly scientific study of UFOs, and um, and that was a real blow against McDonald. You know, it was a public relations blow. And then he died of a um, self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head in 1971. And there's always been suspicion. It's like, what the hell really happened with McDonald? I speculated uh, in my first book, UFOs and National Security State. In fact, I caught real, I caught shit for that from the late Richard Hall, UFO researcher who took offense that I suggested McDonald might've been suicided instead of yeah. suicide himself. But anyway, um, and and Ruffle wrote the, this is a long side road we're taking here, but Andrew Alpha wrote a very, very extensive, excellent biography of McDonald. Um, yeah. But Andrew Ruffle, back to Zodiac, also researched or wrote about this California 
UFO sighting. And, um, you know, by the time that I was looking into Zodiac, I thought, oh, Anne might still be alive. Because I, I knew Anne Druffel. Um, I mean, she was very elderly even when I met her over a decade ago. But it turns out, like, by the time I was able to even get her, she had died. So I think even in 2019, 2020, when I was looking into this, I think she probably was past the point of no return. Yeah. Um, I can't know that for a fact, but she had been in seclusion, I think retirement for some time by then. Um, it would have been nice to have gotten onto this a little sooner. And uh, was, did she write about it in the, in the firestorm book or just separate? No, I don't think so. No, no, no. Because okay. that was all about McDonald. All right. So uh, there's, and you know, the old MUFON UFO journals, I mean, they're probably even more, uh, they may exist as PDFs actually on MUFON's site. I, I, That's true. I, I've got the paper versions, uh, the hard copies here. Um, and that's where I read her articles. What, but what yeah. I'll do is again, when we're done, I'll, I'm gonna pull it up in my notes and uh, almost certainly I'll be able to find it and give it to you. Yeah, and, uh, and again, now we're talking Zodiac MJ-12. Uh, you know, if, if there was such a, you know, again, people have called it the majority committee um, majority of committee on intelligence, you know, majority 12. Um, if there was such a group, it's likely that they have, you know, changed their name or code words. Like, you know, if there was Zodiac, it's probably not likely still called Zodiac now. Um, right. Very well may not be. The thing um, that, you know, people should keep in mind, like, you know, um, cause I know there are people who still will say like MJ 12 is a hoax. So, I would encourage people not to think about things in such in very like low level black and white like that. Yeah. Right. I, I think, I think that's a mistake. Um, but the other thing to keep in mind is that, you know, we have, we've had indication after indication after indication that there are UFO crash retrievals, for example, and that, you know, one of my, one of my real heroes in the UFO field is the late Leonard Stringfield. I've talked about Stringfield's work a lot. Not, not, not too many people talk enough about Stringfield, I have to say. Um, Linda Moulton Howe, I know, has, and maybe some of the other old timers, but I, I don't, most people don't. For me, Stringfield is um, an important touchstone in all of this. And, and in the late 70s and in the 80s, Stringfield collected many, many, many accounts from people who had alleged connections to UFO crash retrievals, and he wrote about it. And you could go on Amazon, spent, drop 80 bucks, it's worth it. Four you volumes, all, right? You get all seven all volumes seven? Of, his, wow. of his UFO crash retrieval updates that he published privately back in those days in the 70s and 80s. He private, privately published, probably probably sold less than a thousand copies of any one of those. I mean, yeah, the distribution was much. But anyway, someone put together all seven, eight and a half by 11, it's largest, 400 pages. Yeah. It, it makes for amazing reading. Uh, I've taught, I've unpacked some of those in some of my YouTube videos on my channel, but, um, and I've written about Stringfield. I wrote a lot about him in volume two of UFOs and national security state. But the point is when you look at Stringfield's research, I mean, he was a very careful researcher in my view. Uh, he had a lot of respect for military people. He, he fought in World War II. He had a Foo Fighter encounter in the Pacific in August of 1945, wrote about it. 
was a long, and he lived near U.S. Air Force headquarters. He lived in Cincinnati, which is not that far from Dayton, Ohio. So he had a lot of Air Force connections. And, they, and in the late 70s, when it was believed that presidential candidate Jimmy Carter might open up the vault on UFOs because it was discovered that he was a UFO witness, all of, this, all of this raised the hopes of a lot of people. People really thought in the late 70s that Jimmy Carter might be the disclosure president. Yeah. They weren't using the word disclosure, but that's what they thought. And so because that helped to spark some of the people who approached Stringfield. And we know this because that's what he said. Um, and then others just came to him through all of these various circuitous routes. But he collected an enormous number of crash retrieval stories or stories related to crash retrievals or stories that dealt with, um, you know, quiet organizations that manage the UFO phenomenon to one extent or another. So like brushing up against MJ-12. So he collected all of this and he put it together in a very, very carefully written, well-written format. That makes for amazing reading. But anyway, so my point is this, I mentioned all of this because to me, it's a no brainer that if you go back to the 1940s, the beginning of the US military's real engagement with UFOs, you would have to have an organization like MJ-12 to manage this. There's no other way. You would have to create an organization that has ultra deniability, that is, that is not answerable to Congress. You can't include Congress in that if you wanna maintain secrecy, there's no way. No way. I mean, the yeah, the level of yeah, the level of importance. I mean, if we're we're talking UFOs are are real, obviously, which I obviously everybody can agree upon here. Um, and and there were UFO, you know, basically alien technology crashes or landings, uh, donations. Um, that that would be in you know of the highest importance. I mean, it would be the greatest discovery yes. and, and national security issue of all time. Um, exactly. But exactly. What, what do you think about people who say, okay, well, um, you know, the, the Zodiac story or, or similar, yeah, let's just stick with the Zodiac story for now, or even MJ-12. Um, MJ-12 and Zodiac are um, Air Force um, Office of Special Investigation Disinformation. What, do you, what would you think of that? Well, so like that the Zodiac story, the Sedge Master story would be part of that office's disinformation? Yeah. Sure, I mean, anything's possible. But then, I mean, if you're gonna do that, I, I think the person making the speculation should obligate themselves into really thinking through the scenario here. All right, so in other words, if you're gonna say that this is disinformation, you, you might wanna ask yourself, directed against whom and why? Like, what would be the point in this case? And then the other thing you have to do is you ask yourself, like what data points actually line up here? So as we were talking about earlier, like a number of data points for Zodiac actually do seem to line up relating to the, the Greg Halifax character being the witness that Ann Druffel writes about in the MUFON magazine in the 70s. I think she may have written about it in the early 80s. I'm gonna, again, I'll find it. But there, there are things there are reasons to think that these data points line up, that there's, this is actually a real person who had a real experience. Um, but if it's disinfo, the, the question is, who is it directed against? 
Now I've often asked, like just thinking about the majestic documents themselves, if they're disinfo, why would you do that against the UFO community? Why would you need to do this? Yeah. this all of this yeah. for the UFO community. Why would that be yeah. necessary? Um, in fact, you know, it wouldn't be. Now you would want to, in, in one of my books, I actually speculated about the original MJ-12 documents as a form of disinfo against the UFO community. And I've always considered it absolutely a possibility. And the reason is in the late seventies, two things were happening in the field of UFO ufology that were a real threat to UFO secrecy. All right, one was the Freedom of Information Act, which had just really been given some serious teeth in the mid seventies. FOIA originally passed in 1966 under Lyndon Johnson, but it didn't really have sufficient teeth where that, that would allow public researchers to ask for things like UFOs. But in the mid seventies, FOIA was strengthened considerably so that it was much more than just, you know, like trying to get your own private records. You could do it for public purposes. And I think that was, uh, I think that was one of the last things of the Richard Nixon presidency actually before he resigned in August of 1974. So uh, I think the big surprise for a lot of people was that UFO researchers were among the first people to jump on the Freedom of Information Act. So by the 75, 76, you have a bunch of researchers um, people like P uh, lawyer Peter Gersten or UFO researcher Bruce Maccabee and a bunch of others who were petitioning government agencies for UFO documents and they were getting them by the hundreds and then by the thousands of pages. And so there was, it's like shaking a tree and seeing what falls out of the tree. And a lot of, I mean, suddenly by the late 70s, like some very fascinating UFO documents were coming out proving that the FBI was tracking this carefully, that that the yeah. Air Force was, and that the Army was, and the Navy, and like all of these other agencies, even CIA, all of these were coming out. And whereas all of these agencies for years and years had said, oh no, we don't have an interest in any of that. Suddenly they yeah. were proven to be lying. So that was a threat. And, and if you're looking at the situation in the late seventies, as it's unfolding, you don't know, will, will a document come out that's actually the, ultimate smoking gun. As of the late 70s, all that had come out were a bunch of lower level classified documents that were still very interesting. Like there wasn't a, a single document that came out that said, boss, I think we're being invaded by aliens or here is a crash, but no, but there were quite a few. Like if you took the top 10 or 20, even back then, cumulatively, they did prove that the UFO phenomenon was a real problem for the United States military. While they're telling the public that there's nothing to it, like you seeing behind the scenes that like they were having encounters that were you're using phrases like greatly perturbed by implications of phenomenon, things like this. Like, <laughs> yeah. So like they were obviously deeply upset over incursions over nuclear related facilities, whether at Los Alamos or uh, Oak Ridge, Tennessee or Hanford state of Washington, all of which were important or like the Belgian uranium mine, the Belgian Congo, excuse me, uranium mine in 1952, like that came out. It's like all these, like, wow. So they, they were proving that the UFO flying saucer phenomenon was important. So, so FOIA was threat number one. And then threat number two was from people like Stringfield and also Stanton Friedman, yeah. who were researching UFO crash retrieval stories. 
that was it's like a two pronged assault in the late 70s on what had formerly been like complete shut locked door of secrecy. And suddenly, within just a couple of years, things were changing. And, you know, if you're sitting at the matter looking at it in 1978, 79, 1980, like you don't know where this is going to go. You have no idea. Will there be like this ultimate revelation that just blows the whole lid off of this? So I think, you know, if you look at it from that perspective, you can see the original MJ-12 documents as a potential form of, of uh, counterintelligence and disinformation directed against the UFO community. That's entirely possible. Yes, absolutely. Where you would have, you know, what is disinformation? People got to understand disinformation is not the same thing as hoaxes. Not quite. Yeah. Got to be a little more on the ball than that. Disinformation is something that's got to be credible, that has enough confirmed elements of truth to it that will have unconfirmed or or things proven false that will just have you chasing your tail for the how, you know longest period of time. And that's what we've been doing ever since. So I think that's what the MJ-12 documents could very well be. Those MJ-12 documents that came to Jamie Shandery and Bill Moore in 1984. Now, the, I, I consider them distinct from the majestic documents that are on Ryan and Bob Wood's website. Yeah. That's my opinion right now. Yeah, I think that they're, yeah. they're separate. So I think yeah. the original MJ-12 documents very probably had truth, but and here's and you would ask yourself, well, why, why do that at all? Why put out any truth at all? The reason is it's like an inoculation. Um, you know, I mean, boy, this is a, a loaded uh, analogy nowadays. <laughs> yeah. COVID vaccinations and that whole thing. We don't want to get into that here, but with with a with a vaccination of any kind of virus, what they do is they give you kind of a dead or inert version of that virus. And then your body produces antibodies to react against it. And then you're, you're inoculated, but it works the same with information. So like if you want to inoculate the public against a UFO control group, you would actually, you could put that information out there, but you sandwich it with enough BS that people are like, oh crap, you know, this is all, all nonsense. Or you have stories come out in one of the publications you own, like the National Enquirer, which the CIA controlled for decades. You know, Enquirer would put in UFO stories. Some of those UFO stories in the mid seventies, late seventies were totally true stories. <laughs> yeah. The National Enquirer broke the uh, UFOs over nuclear missiles uh, in the 1970s. No way. Enquirer broke that. No way. I didn't even Bob know Pratt, that, yeah. Bob Pratt, Enquirer journalist. He, Bob Pratt was a legit journalist and the Enquirer gave him a budget which no UFO organization had back then. So he was able to do these research, but, but the stories were put in the Enquirer where everyone was like, oh, well, that's all BS nonsense, tabloid. But the Enquirer was founded by a guy named Genovese Pope, Gene Pope, who came out of the CIA's Psychological Warfare Division in the 50s. And um, he, that, the Enquirer was his baby. And you know, Gene Pope was a guy who knew all the powerful people. People would ask, how do you know Richard Nixon? And he says, well, politics is just, you know, you one hand washes the other. That's what Pope yeah. said. Uh, there's a late researcher who was a good friend of mine named Terry Hansen. Um, Terry was a great guy. And uh, he wrote a book called The Missing Times back, uh, back in 2000, like when my first book came out. 
And that was his analysis of media complicity in the UFO cover-up. And he talked a lot about the inquiry. He talked a lot about Gene Pope. Terry did a lot of good research on that. And that book, The Missing Times is still, I think it's about, you can probably pick it up on Amazon or maybe in a bookstore. But um, so, yeah, I mean, so you've got, my point is you, that's what disinformation does. Disinformation yeah. can be totally true information, but true in a way that makes you not believe it. Yeah. That's the thing. And so I think the MJ-12 documents from 1984 uh, could easily be that. Yeah. So circling back to Zodiac, um, so we can wrap up here. And I got I to gotta remember, I got to include the, um, the majestic documents in the description here too, so people can take a look at that. Strongly um, recommend, yeah. Yeah. Um, the Zodiac. So... What what do you, what would you think is like the the relevance of the Zodiac story or program? Well, let's just keep in mind a couple of things. So Zodiac articles come out in UFO magazine, which itself did not have a huge circulation. I mean, it's especially in the nineties, really. Um, I don't remember what their circulation was, but probably less than ten thousand. Probably wasn't that big. Um, might have been. Might have been that. But the point is, it wasn't. It wasn't like this massive selling thing. And um, <clears throat> and here's how Putoff commenting, pouncing on it to his colleagues quietly in an email thread that no one, none of them expected was going to be exposed. So the thing is, all of those gentlemen, those very brilliant scientists. Um, I mean, I've, I've been saying this for years and I don't think there's any controversy about it. They, they, I think they're all just trying to get to the center of the labyrinth. Yeah. You know, they all, they all know a lot. They've all had, I mean, Putoff and Green have had, uh, you know, um, sensitive compartmented SCI clearances, I think, I think for like over 50 years now. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. What if that's, is that the record? <laughs> I mean, yeah, right. maybe they, they, so they, they both are, they know a lot. I don't know all that they know, but I've gotten, you know, the world has gotten, not just me, gotten glimmers of things that they know. Um, you know, Putoff, keep in mind, gave that amazing lecture at uh, Society of Scientific Exploration a couple of years ago on the metamaterial. I think that was in 2018. Good grief, that was amazing. That was fascinating. Um, where he basically, in my opinion, all but says that this appears to be a piece of a UFO. But anyway, yeah. these guys all have highly sophisticated backgrounds. They've all talked to people in the government at the highest levels. They've all like done government work. Like they're not, you know, you can't just dismiss them. And so when you get yeah. this group of very elite individuals working for a billionaire named Robert Bigelow, and they're having these off the record conversations. Like, I just think that's worth taking seriously. It's, it's worth it. It's at least worth listening to carefully. That doesn't mean that everything that they know or believe is true. Of course, it doesn't mean that, but it does mean that you want to respect and take seriously their ideas about this, which, which I do. Yeah. And then the, you know, there's the, the reaction of like Lou Elizondo and Eric Davis. I mean, Lou Elizondo, if he hasn't heard of something, he'll say, I, you know, I haven't really heard about that. 
And he didn't say that when he when we were talking to, or when you no, asked him I, about Zodiac. Yeah. And and I asked him in my interview too about Zodiac. He said I I will not comment on that. And I got an identical uh, res- response from Eric Davis. He said I will not talk about that. <laughs> you know, not and Eric Davis again. If something's bullshit, he'll he he just calls it as it is. He'll say that's garbage. That's again. He said you know that's cockamamie or. He'll make a statement like that. He he'll not he won't say I will not talk about that subject, right? You know, um, right. so again, that's telling. Um, okay, so uh, that about wraps it up there. I mean, there's going to be a lot of links in the description for this one because uh, definitely a lot of um, you know follow-on information uh, relevant to this conversation, including the actual uh, PDF uh, stories by Greg Halifax talking about the Sedge Master story, talking about the Zodiac program, three stories. I mean, at the least, if they're only entertainment, they're great stories. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's frustrating. I mean, right. honestly, yeah. after all this time, uh, none of this is proof that there's a real Zodiac program. And we just have to honestly state that. Like, I don't have proof that Zodiac is a real thing. I mean, what you yeah. have is a lot of smoke. It looks like there's some fire. Um, and you do have, there are definitely people who believe, like people have more information than you and I have, who believe it's real. Um, that to me is totally clear. And and I think the article that appeared in UFO Mag, I think disinfo would be the wrong way to describe it. I think, one, I'll, I wanna add this, like you find, and this is this goes beyond anyone associated with Bigelow. This just deals with a lot of people who had classified backgrounds that I've talked to over the years, like they're in a tough position because first of all, when you, when you um, are bound to secrecy, you, you can't break it. I've talked to researcher friends who are, they get frustrated by that. They're like, look, damn it, this is too important. They should just break their security clearances. But you know what? They're not in that position. I'm not in that position. It's very easy to say that when you're on the sidelines, it's very different when you're in that world. I don't know what the threats are against these people if they break if they break ranks, it could be quite severe. When I was talking with Edgar Mitchell about this many years ago, this is probably uh, almost 15 years ago. I wrote to him uh, and I said, I said, in 04, we were talking privately and you said to me that you knew for a fact that at deep, deep classified levels, you knew that there were programs to study alien technology and bodies. Mitchell, Edgar Mitchell said that to me. We were both in Roswell in July, 2004. And um, we went off, our, I'll never forget this. We went into a private little room. This is in a, the city of Roswell. They have like this uh, city communal, like rec, like a city building, like where you can hold events. And there is a little room off the side. And he told me this. So he said, yes, I've known. I'm going to confirm this. And this is before... I knew about the whole Admiral Wilson thing, by the way. Yeah. I learned about that in 06, when I was shown several pages of that document in 06. So this is two years before. So here's Mitchell. I realize now one of the things he was indirectly referring to was probably that. Yeah. Obviously. But he said he had, he had multiple sources. Uh, so anyway, so I, write, I wrote to him after that and I said, hey, you mentioned you had a couple of specific sources. Can 
I realize you probably just can't give them up, but you tell me you like my work. So can you at least throw me a bone and point me in a direction here and give me something to work with? Can you give me something to work with here? And what he wrote back was, uh, he says, sorry, I can't. He said, the people who came to me with information did so at great risk professionally, personally, and risk to their families. He yeah. said, as long as they're alive, I cannot and I will not give up their names. So, so there's, so that gets you back to like the pressure that probably people like Eric Davis have to deal with, like, or, like Tom Wilson or, or Thomas Wilson, my God, or anyone else who's spoken to me off the record. So they, these people, like they've got significant constraints around them. And, but, but sometimes some of those people will think, well, how can I, not quite cheating, but how can I, how, how can I put information out there without getting into trouble? Yeah. Like that's, that's what they're often thinking. Uh, because some of them really do believe at least to a limited extent of getting some of the information out. Like they didn't all sign on at the beginning of their career to have a lifetime of secrecy brought down upon them. I mean, uh, yeah, they all agree to certain things, but time goes by, people develop different opinions sometimes. So I think every now and then you find like some of these people who know, who've had clearances, they know things, they will say things that will be deniable by them, that will not put them at risk. And then they have to trust as well. Like they got to trust the researcher that the researcher is just not going to throw their name out there. So, um, you know, it's, it's not easy for them, but the fact is it happens. Like it has happened, not just me. I mean, many, many researchers have had this, you know, the, where people will come to them and they'll, they'll, they'll say things that are sensitive, but they say it in a way that's deniable. And that, and that I think that's what this uh, Greg Halifax article was. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I mean, he may not have had security clearances, although I bet he did, um, but he, he still might not have wanted to throw under the bus anyone that he did know who had a security clearance. So he's got to be careful. Yeah. So I don't, I don't call that disinfo. I call that a, a careful leak of information that's deniable. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, just, I also want to put out there, you know, some people are going to be upset about we're talking about zodiac and i don't think people should discourage open conversation especially if we're talking about relevant information um and again i you know i think it's obvious to anybody that has looked into this that this you know there has been a cover-up um some group of people have kept this information from the general public and even probably within in in governments you know um so highly uh, relevant information. Um, some people kind of are, they have the idea, oh, well, you know, we're getting the, you know, UAP type disclosure. So let's play with the safe conversations. And I, I don't think that's the case. I mean, I think we need it now more than ever to harp on crash retrievals. I mean, they're yes. where the rubber meets the road. And um, absolutely. We're, we're moving now into an era. Of, I, I'm going to talk about this probably in a live stream soon on my own channel. But uh, Google has a division called Jigsaw. 
and uh, <laughs> this sounds good yeah um god <laughs> so what jigsaw does is they um their mission is basically as they put it to make the world safer by combating misinformation disinformation things like this online so jigsaw actually contacted the Rand Corporation, which is one of the oldest and most venerated defense think tanks in the country. They were founded in the 1940s, for God's sake. Uh, they contact Rand. Rand works with the Defense Department and the intelligence community every day, doing policy papers and analyses all the time. So here you have Google's division contacting Rand to uh, find a way to combat uh, um, oh, conspiracy theories. Yeah. Conspiracy theories at scale. In other words, not by having a team of a thousand human sensors, but scaling it so that you have algorithms being able to find conspiracy theories online. So this is what Google's actively doing now, right now. All right. They're working with Rand. Rand already published their uh, report, which I just recently read is 108 pages. And they're very happy. They're very proud of their ability to identify conspiracy theories online. Of the four that they used as samples, one was UFO. No way. Wow. No way. Yes, that's right. Uh, the other three were, uh, one was like a white supremacist group. Another one was anti-COVID vaccinate, or actually just anti-vaxxers in general. One was uh, the, the origin of the coronavirus. Yeah. Which, by the way, when they were doing it, the conspiracy theory that they were analyzing was that it started in a lab, which at this time, like this is very interesting to me because they're looking at that as a conspiracy theory. We've actually gotten to the point now where you've got scientists saying this is 95% certainty that it came out of a lab in Wuhan. And ever yeah. since John Stewart went on Colbert and basically talked about it, that, like that kind of broke the whole thing open for the mass media. Anyway, it's like now we're at a point where that's not even, uh, you know, I mean, you weren't allowed to talk about that online for over a year. This is the most important yeah. virus like that shut down the entire world and no one was allowed to talk about it for more than a year. Now we're a little bit able to. Uh, but anyway, my point is those are the four. So those three plus UFO, they called it alien visitation conspiracy theory. So in other words, uh, and by the way, what Rand determined was that of those four, the alien conspiracy group was the most benign, least harmful. Yeah. The, reason, the reason they did that, as far as I could tell, you're reading this carefully, I read, read it carefully, um, was because there wasn't a lot of hatred and animosity expressed in, in an us versus them type of dialectic. So in the other three, that was much more especially with the white supremacist group, which you can imagine, but also the other two, there was a bit of a harmful non-inclusivity, I guess you could say, but within the UFO group, because they said, yeah, the vast majority of UFO people in this group looked at the aliens in a positive way. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, they're obviously focusing on the contactee or maybe, you know, <laughs> yeah, at, I was going to say California right? ufology. I don't know. No offense to my friends in California, but it's probably yeah. what they were doing. Uh, but that, that's interesting too, because what that indicates is, you know, we're in an era now of where the UAP subjects being much more mainstreamed, right? And so it's okay, it's more okay to talk about, but will we get to a point where like 
if you don't talk about it the right way. Dangerous. Yeah. That's exactly right. So in other words, ixnay on the, on the conspiracy talk, can't do that. And also, um, what if, <laughs> all right, now we're just speculating, but if there's ever an open recognition of these other beings here, will there be a policy of, well, we have to accept them. No us versus them, no hate speech allowed. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you, you, if you read that Rand report, uh, I'm gonna talk about it more public. I actually did a thing on my website about it uh, yesterday. Um, but if you read that report, like you can definitely see that in there because they're, they're pretty explicit saying, you know, they were looking for us versus them language. Yeah. The way that they found conspiracy theories, by the way, is they did a linguistic analysis. So they were, it's kind of an interesting approach. They were not looking for content. They were looking for styles of speech and behavior um, that would identify certain groups. And what they believe that they've discovered is that different cultural subgroups well, it makes sense. We'll use language differently. They'll have yeah. different words and hot button words that they use. And so once you learn that, you can, <clears throat> you can do search algorithms to look for those types of, of identifiers and markers. Yeah. So, that's, and so that's allowing them, I mean, in part to scale up, uh, you know, hunting down conspiracy theories, yeah, which are right. harmful I'm, and yeah. you're not supposed to believe them ever. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you got to wonder if there's ever going to be a crossroads like directly when, if, you know, that comes to the UFO conversation, but which is why, you know, I applaud people like Lou Elizondo and, and Christopher Mellon who are talking about it in a serious way. And, and again, Lou is not shying away from crash retrievals too much. He, obviously he can't say what he knows or implicate himself, but he's yeah. clearly talking about materials. And then, right. you know, you have, uh, mainstream uh reporters like uh ross coltart yep and you know his new book in plain sight he's you know he's going right for the big story you know which you know i applaud that um correct yeah so uh a few people elizondo and davis particularly i think are two people who've walked right up to the line right up to the line didn't quite step over it but if you read everything that they have said on this, like you can infer a great deal. I don't, you know, I, I'm, I'm really curious as to how Eric Davis, uh, that old interview he did with Alejandro Rojas, it's not that old, it's 2018. 20, 2019, I thought it was. 2019, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. 2019. And he's talking about, you know, crash retrievals. This is how you get into the program. Uh, you know, this is how you're of use to the program. Tremendous detail and, with Alejandro. Tremendous yeah. details. Probably the yeah. best, probably the most uh, in-depth interview I've been that I'm aware of, at least by Eric Davis. He's given a few really great ones, but that one's just like mind-blowing stuff. Yeah. And I, I don't think he's yeah. speculating there is the point, you know. <laughs> no, way. no way. I don't think he's speculating when he's talking, he's talking about, about corporate corporate inf- influence and in, you know, oh yeah. Over retrievals. And the legacy programs. Works. Yeah. And the what? The legacy programs. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, and so so yeah, and and that's a really important thing to Zodiac too, also, because um, when I was talking to Lou, I was asking about special access programs, and he said, "Well, you know, also it makes sense rather than a special access program if you have a legacy program." And I went back and I listened to the Eric Davis interview, 
uh, with Alejandro Rojas on Open Minds. And sure enough, Eric Davis is talking about, you know, corporate um, aerospace companies that have legacy programs. And, you know, again, if this was um, some kind of legacy program like that with Zodiac, you're there's you know, you're not finding it. No, right. Um, right. So, uh, let, but let's end it there just cause we went to, we, <laughs> we went off on a great deal. Um, there's going to be a, a bunch of links in the description for this one. Um, so be sure to look at the Zodiac, the actual story, uh, and Richard, Richard's articles and the audio, if you want to listen to it and, and several of the other links that are going to be down there. Uh, I know a lot of people have been wondering about the subject. So, uh, thank you so much, Rich, for coming on and talking about this. I'm very happy to do it, James. I mean, it would be nice if we could have much more definitive statements to make about Zodiac or anything related. I feel like when in ufology, we're like little kids pressing our noses against the dark uh, windows of a candy store that's got the lights off. Like, you know, the goodies are in there. You can see some of them in there, but doors locked, can't get in. You can kind of make a few things out. I really feel like that's where we're at with this for the most part. Every now and then we get little tidbits here and there. And there actually is a lot of data uh, test, attesting to the reality of UFOs. But in terms of how all of it works, I think we've made some progress, but there's still a long way to go. Yeah. And again, I, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine that we're going to get a disclosure willingly. Uh, it seems, you know, again, your book uh, after Disclosure AD uh fantastic book i have to i have to i have to read the revive it i have the original i have the first edition original hardcover yeah that's the one yeah. i published i got the signed copy when it first came out oh nice um, yeah 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 uh i have to read the, the revision you did two revisions right no no one revision oh, so we, one? we did we published the original one i um in 2010 yeah and then about a year maybe a year and a half later I think in uh, late 2011, uh, we did a second edition that was with another another publisher. We went to a more mainstream publisher at the time, and that's what it still is now. Uh, so we incorporated a couple of things. Uh, the Occupy movement had happened in between. We wrote, speculated a little bit about that and how that could potentially affect UFO, the UFO field, like, you know, citizen movement, basically. Yeah. Um, and we, I shortened it actually. I did, I did ninety nine percent of the the edits on that that edition, and uh, tightened up the language of the book. So it went from one hundred thirty thousand words, I think, to like uh, like one hundred five thousand words. Yeah. I, I eliminated one whole chapter. We did a whole chapter on like ancient visitation. I just took it out. And then, oh really? Yeah, that's in the original version of that. After okay, I have yeah. it then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly. Uh, you know, the publisher that we went to said, well, it's just too long. We use too many words. And I'm like, what? And I, I threw plates across the room, yelled and screamed at them. But that was how it was. So, uh, so yeah, I pulled chap that chapter, which was in chapter two. And then I just went through, because we added information, but but then I I like methodically went through the text and just tightened up every single sentence in that book. So yeah. it's a trade-off. Like the first book is longer there's actually more in it, but the second book is actually a faster read. Like, and it, yeah. re, it reads a little bit better. First book, I think, yeah. reads well. I think the second book reads, it's like a faster read. Yeah. Really pared the hell out of it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Rich, for coming on. Um, it's always great to talk to you, and I hope to talk to you again soon. You bet. Thank you, James. And um, 
It was fun. Thanks. Definitely.